are among the scriptures we will look at, but we will certainly not be limited to those. A little update. Some of you have been asking, hey, Pastor John, what's going on with the building? Um, we're excited to say we're meeting with the city tomorrow. Um, we're meeting with the city tomorrow to see uh, what their criteria is and some of the changes that will have to be made as we uh, look at the building, pray, plan to step in to the new thing that the Lord is doing, and we're excited about that. So if you would join us in prayer um, this week, uh, especially between tonight and tomorrow, as we uh, prepare to meet with the city, we're really excited about what God is doing, and um, we hope you are too. So that being said, John 17, verse 1, John 17, verse 1. This is Jesus praying. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one, listen, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And Father, these words, these precious words that we are blessed to study this morning said 2,000 years ago, on what was to be the darkest moment in human history, this cry out to you from the Son, this prayer said by the Son to the Father for all of our benefit in so many ways, oh, teach us today. 
Teach us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with somebody, and as you were talking to that person, they ask you a question? And after they ask you the question, you attempt to answer the question. But what you see as you're looking at them is that they're really not listening. They're formulating their answer. They already know what they want to say next. They have an answer to their own question. You're talking to them, and you can see as you're, as you're talking to them that it's just not registering. What you're saying, that they've planned what they want to say. So they have a question, but they're not listening because they're formulating the answers. And I think that sometimes we treat God the same way. There are moments in our life where we say, why God? Why God? But the question is, do you really want the answer as to why God? You see, last week, we taught a verse, John 16, almost as if God was preparing our hearts for what could happen the next morning. Do you remember the verse? John 16, it was Jesus saying, I have spoken these things that you might find peace in me. In the world, you will have much tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Did you find yourself Monday morning when you woke up to that news with that truth pressed on a little bit? We woke up to something that was unspeakable, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, mind-numbing, fresh off of that teaching, and Monday morning, here's what happens. Life comes and it presses into that truth. Well, this is what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says, but do you believe it? You see, I didn't automatically default to that verse. I didn't automatically default to biblical truth. I automatically defaulted to being very upset and emotional and sad and angry and frustrated and all of these things at the same time when I woke up to that. And yeah, there's that verse there. But I'm having trouble receiving it, quite honestly. Almost like the way that a direct TV satellite has problems when a storm comes. I'm having trouble receiving the signal. I'm having trouble receiving the truth of that verse and saying, why God? Because the truth is eclipsed just for a moment. Just for a moment by the situation. And I've lost perspective for a moment. See, I remember this truth. Oh, I remembered it. In this world, you'll have much tribulation. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But God, this kind of tribulation, really? This kind of trip, really? This kind of trouble? Mothers lost sons. Sons lost fathers. God, did you know that there were nurses there? That there were teachers that there were coaches and that everybody there every life there was precious and and they meant something to somebody else is that the kind of tribulation because if it is i just don't understand it and then we come to the foot of the cross and he says you might not but i do i get it you see because i sent my son to that cross 
I sent my son to the cross because I knew the horrors of this world. I subjected him to that cross, and I did it for you. And it's at that moment we realize that the foundation of our faith is the promise of blessing that came at the price of suffering. It's the promise of blessing that came at the price of the suffering of our Savior. And so here's what Jesus does. This is the darkest hour of his life where he is about to be betrayed, denied, abandoned by all. At the darkest moment of his life, what does he do? Let me ask you before we see what he does, what do you do? During the darkest moments in your life, what do you do? Do you go say, well, it's time to pray? Because a lot of the times what happens is that in that moment, that's the moment where we sit back and we say, you know what, I don't feel like praying right now. I'm a little upset with my situation, and I just, I don't have the energy to pray. I don't have the desire to pray. But do we know that at that moment, that the most important thing that we can do is press into God, press into that communication. Think about it. Communication is what makes a relationship strong, right? Communication. If there's weak communication, if there's no communication, if there's bad communication, well, then that relationship is weak. But during the toughest moments, these are the times that we need to press into prayer and no place in Scripture do we see this more than with Jesus here in the longest prayer recorded in the New Testament. In the longest prayer recorded in the New Testament, we see in John 17, it's broken into three parts. We'll look at two of those parts today where Jesus prays for himself and then he prays for his disciples in this passage. And we have seven points that we're going to learn because if you're going to learn how to pray, there's no better person to learn how to pray from than Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, when the disciples saw him, they said, teach us to pray. And that's when he told them, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so not only does he teach us how to pray, but here we see him pray. And we see from the way that he's consecrated, lived his life, rehearsed his life now before the Father, we get some amazing lessons that to me will help unleash the power of prayer. Because how many times have you felt like, you know what, my prayer life is kind of flailing right now. My prayer life is off right now. My communication is off with God right now. And those are the times, kind of like going to the gym. When you go to the gym, sometimes you don't feel like going. And those are the best times to go. Those are the most necessary times to go. It's the same in the Christian life. We're at those moments when we feel like we're getting, the ta we're getting taken down. It's at those moments that we press in, and when we press in, there is the power. The great men and women of the Bible, they prayed. Abraham prayed. Moses, every time he had trouble with the people, he was falling on his face before the Lord. Daniel prayed. Nehemiah prayed. David, oh, he said a couple of prayers here. And the, yes, David prayed. These men and women, Mary prayed. And so today we get some lessons from Jesus himself on prayer and seven keys to unleashing prayer by looking at the life of Jesus and how he prays. So let's take a look at John 17, verse 1 again. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Stop right there. Put the brakes on. Let's consider this. Father, the hour has come. He spent the book of John saying, it's not my time yet. The hour hasn't yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. Now the hour is here. And what are you going to do when the hour is here? Well, when the hour is here, Jesus goes to the Father and he says, the hour has come. 
And this is the first point that we'll look at today. We will unleash God's power in prayer. That's how every point will start out today. We will unleash God's power in prayer when we trust God's timing. Have you had trouble with that lately? When you trust God's timing, when you trust that the hour will come when the hour is supposed to come because God has never lost control. He's never taken his hand off the wheel. All his ministry pointed to this moment in time, the perfect moment. It was a perfect moment for what? For everything to be sunshine and lollipops? No, this was the perfect moment for him to be betrayed, for him to be denied, for him to be abandoned, for him to go to a cross and for God to be glorified. The moment had come. And sometimes when we're trusting God's timing, sometimes it means a cross for us. Sometimes it means an appointed struggle for us, trusting his timing even when things don't go our way. When things aren't going your way, isn't that the hardest time to trust God's timing? And yet in prayer, it's so important to just say, listen, God, I don't understand this moment. I don't understand Monday morning. I don't understand the events from Sunday night into Monday morning. I don't get it. But your word, and I see this from Genesis to Revelation, shows me that your timing is perfect, even if I'm not able to look at the events and comprehend it, that I know that your timing is perfect. We have to go to God willing to wait on him. That's what Isaiah said, right? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's like those movies, those great epic battle scenes where you've got a leader and overwhelming forces are coming at them. And as the overwhelming forces are coming at them, the leader has a plan, but not yet. Wait. The enemy's pressing in, though, and the soldiers are getting nervous, and the enemy's coming closer. The leader says, wait. Wait. Wait, everybody's getting nervous, all right? The music in the movie is swelling, and, and everybody's freaking out. What's going to happen? When is he going to move? When is he going to move? And he goes, now, and then, bam, everything is unleashed. Everything is unleashed. God's timing, not ours, because that's what he does. In his timing, he unleashes his power. And yet we play off God's timing, don't we? Especially when we're counseling someone. They're going through a tragedy, and they lost somebody close to them. Well, I guess it was just God's timing. I guess it was just God's timing. Or you didn't get that job that you wanted, and somebody comes to you and they say, the same counsel. I guess it just wasn't God's timing. And we're always talking about God's timing and how important it is to understand God's timing. But you unleash power in prayer when you go to him saying, listen, I don't want well, I, I don't want it unless it is your timing for it. Dating relationships, you would do well to understand this. You would do well to understand this. God, I want your timing for the person that you're going to bring into my life, and I am willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. What makes a great batter? The batters that are willing to wait on their pitch, right? The batters that are willing to wait on their pitch because we trust God's timing because we say, when we, when we go to him and we say, we trust that your timing is better than mine. And I'm struggling, God. You know I'm struggling with patience. And he says, that's why I have you going through this. I have you going through this because you're struggling with my timing. Here's how you here know that God's timing is better than yours. You ready for this? You ready? Sometimes you got what you wanted when you wanted it when you prayed for it. Right? That's how you know that God's timing is better than your timing because sometimes you got what you wanted. So isn't it better at this moment, don't you think, that we would go to God because, listen, gang, he 
he created time. He created time. He knows what to do with it. He knows what he's doing. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son. So when we go to him praying, saying, God, I'm going to trust your timing because you created time. As a matter of fact, I have life and I have breath today because you somehow decided to give me more time. And so you have something that you want to do in this moment. I want to read to you from Ecclesiastes. We read this yesterday. Spoke at a memorial service yesterday, and the Lord had put it on my heart, and I thought it would be perfect for this service today. Ecclesiastes 3. A song has been made out of this. Actually, a couple of songs have been made out of it. Now, check it out, gang. This is the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth, besides Jesus, of course. The Bible calls this Solomon the wisest man. And here's what Solomon writes. He says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. God created time, and in his appointed time, he makes all things new and all things good. Listen, gang. The one who created time and space made a decision that on this day, 2017, the world would be a better place if you were in it. The world would be a better place if you were in it and you're here. Do you trust his timing? That's the first thing where we're going to unleash the power of prayer. So Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. Here's the second point. We will unleash God's power when we desire He is glorified. When you go to God praying, desiring that He is glorified, you're going to unleash God's power. So the first thing is, is that we will unleash God's power when we trust His timing. But the second thing is, we will unleash God's power when we desire He is glorified. Why did the Son come? The Son came to glorify the Father and to repair broken relationship with a life that is perfectly submitted to God. God is glorified. When there's less of me, when there's none of me, when the Holy Spirit fills me up and it's all of Him, that's when God is glorified, when I'm doing what He wants me to do with what He gave me to do it. When I'm doing what He wants me to do with what He gave me to do it, that's when God is being glorified. But what if I take the thing that God has given me, and what if I'm not doing the thing He wants me to do? What if I'm using it for my personal gain, has nothing to do with Him, I don't care if He's glorified, then I'm not using it for what He gave me it for. It's been given, the Bible says, Romans eleven thirty six. for of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. It also says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, you do all for the glory of God. 
So what we've been given, we've been given to glorify him. When we get out of the way and let him do his thing, that's when God is being glorified. Check it out. If there's anybody that still watches football here, uh, when, we, when we think of the football games, when you think of football, the beauty of the game, the quarterback, uh, the quarterback goes back, he throws a 50-yard pass to the wide receiver. The wide receiver runs it into the end zone, touchdown, owners celebrating, players celebrating, the fans are celebrating, the coaches are celebrating, the team is glorified. Wait a second, referee waves it off. See, somewhere down the field, there's a flag on the play. Here's what happened. The wide receiver, as soon as he was trying to make his way downfield, he took the defender nonchalantly, he took his face mask, and pulled him to the ground so that he could get free and free himself up. And so now what happens is that there's a penalty on the play. Touchdown is waved off. Is the owner celebrating? No. Is the coach celebrating? Is the wide receiver, the rest of the team celebrating? Are the fans celebrating? Only the fans that are running against them are celebrating. Is the team glorified? The answer is a big fat no. Jesus said, listen, with what you've given me, I have glorified you. Your son has glorified you. And when we determine to take what he's given us and say, listen, God, this is yours. And I want to glorify you, Lord, through this thing that you've blessed me with. You see, if you're a husband and God has blessed you with a wife, that's something to honor. It's something to revere. It's a privilege. If I'm not praying for my wife, if I'm not in the word with my wife, if I'm looking at porn and I'm asking, hey, God be glorified, no. No, no, no. He's not going to glorify him if I'm spitting in the face of what he gave me. If I'm disobeying him, if I'm neglecting him. Let's go further with that. He gives you relationships, dating relationships. And in these dating relationships, you find yourself going into areas that were meant for marriage. And you're asking God to glorify it. Don't. Don't. You won't. And you're saying, Pastor, this is a little bit heavy for what we came here for today. Gang, listen. What you've been given, you've been given so that you can glorify God with it. As a dad, you know, I come home the other day and I'm exhausted. Son wants to go in the pool. He's given me my son so that I could pray for him, that I could pour the word into him. Shame on me if I don't do that. He's blessed me with that take what he's given and determine to glorify God with it, determine to honor God with it, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, because if you're going to glorify God with it and you find that thing leaving your life, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Are you determined to glorify God with that which he gave you and watch what he does? When you go on your knees and say, God, I want to glorify you with this. I know that there are going to be some parts of this that are going to be painful, but I'm determined to glorify you because I know that everything that I've been given was given by you. Everything has been given by you, and it is for you. And because it's by you and it's for you, I want to use it to honor you. Your pastor's trying to lose weight. Okay? 
Why? Because this is the body God gave me. I want to honor this body. All right, I can work out. I can do those 12-minute workouts on TV that you see, 12 minutes, and you'll lose the weight. Yeah. Okay, but if you do the 12-minute workouts and you continue to pour in the fried chicken and you continue to pour in the ice cream and you continue to pour in the other stuff, and I'm asking God, bless my efforts to take care of my body. He's going to be, I'm trying, dude. I'm trying. I'm trying, but here you are, and you're just sitting there, and you're destroying my, you're destroying it. Come on. We will unleash God's power when we desire that God be glorified. The world has yet to see, the world has yet to see the power of a life that has been fully given over to the glory of God. Moody said, let that life be me. Let that life be me. So we will unleash God's power in prayer when we trust his timing. When we say, God, I trust your timing. I trust your timing. And I want you to be glorified. Even if I don't understand what you're doing, even if I struggle what you're doing, I want to glorify you. You're not going to glorify God if you go into the workplace and you take more breaks than anybody. Right? That's not going to glorify God. All right, if you're known, what is John known for at work? He, John's known for the amount of cigarette breaks he takes. If that's how you're defined at work, if that's how you're known at work, well, that's not going to glorify God. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Here's what the passage says more in verse 2. It says, as you have given him authority over all flesh. I love this part. As you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. Check it out. This is the third point. The third point, we will unleash God's power in prayer when we acknowledge his authority. That's why Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I'm giving you full authority over everything. And when we see Jesus walk this earth, here's what the son has done. The son, the son for a moment has relinquished his power as God. He's still God. He's relinquished his power. He's come in complete submission to the father and the Holy Spirit. Because you're going to unleash God's power when you recognize and respect the chain of command. That's when you're going to unleash God's power. When you recognize and you respect the chain of command. I want to have you turn. Keep your place in John. Go over to Luke. It's chapter 5. Verse 17. We acknowledge his authority. The one that's teaching us to pray, watch this, gang. Verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out to every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The pow- Listen to that. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Jesus was there. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went to the city, pulled a permit. It took three months. No, it doesn't say that. Because of the crowd. (laughs) They went to the crowd. They went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on. Did you see that there? He took up what he'd been lying on. The thing that he'd been a prisoner to his whole life, he took it up, the thing that he was been lying on, and he departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Listen, folks. We will unleash God's power in prayer when we recognize his authority. You see Jesus' authority throughout Scripture. Here, the most important authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. Yes? Do you see that in the passage? He also has the ability to heal illnesses. Did you see that in the passage? But if you look more, what you'll see is this, is that when he's sleeping on the boat and he stands up in the middle of the storm and says, peace be still, the wind and waters obey him. So he has power over the wind and water. So he has power over the natural disasters and those natural forces. But he also has power over gravity. He's got power over natural law because at one point when the storm is raging, Jesus is actually walking on the sea. So he has authority over that. So he's got authority over the wind and the water. He's got authority to walk on the water. He breathed, the sh- he, he breathed this earth into existence. That's his authority. That's the authority of God. Are you willing to put him in charge of your life? He has authority. When, when, when they ask him about tax money, he tells Peter, he says, listen, just go pull it out of a fish. What? <laughs> so he has authority over your finances. He's got authority over all of these things. That's the authority of the Son of Man. We acknowledge His authority, and we go and we say, listen, I want to put you in charge because I've tried to be in charge of my life. And he says, John, how did that go? Not so good. Not so good, but now I'm reading about a God as I'm reading in the Gospels that He's got authority over demons, over the elements, over sins, unforgiveness, over all of it. That's His authority. Let's read on in the passage. Back to John. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name. Now we begin to see a transition from Jesus praying for himself to glorify God for the authority. And now we begin to see a transition as now he prays for his disciples. And what do we learn from this section? Things that we need to be praying for. Check this out. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Here's point number four. We will unleash the power of prayer when we make his name known. 
when you make his name known. That makes sense, right? When we make his name known, when we glorify his name, the book of John tells us about a man named John the Baptist. I always used to love messing with the kids in the youth group uh, when I taught for this verse. It says, John 1, 6. I'm not going to ask you to turn there for the sake of time. But it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I loved messing with our kids. That's, that's not you, Pastor John. How do you know? Now, there was a man sent from God and his name was John. This man came, listen, this man came for witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Why was John here? To lift up and exalt Jesus' name. That's the reason he is here. What can we learn from John? Gang, you're here for the same reason. You have been put here. You have been placed here. You have been strategic. You have been strategically positioned on this earth. Strategically positioned by God are you to make his name known. And when that becomes your determination and you wake up in the morning and you say, you know what? I want to glorify you. I'm giving all authority over to you. And what I'm going to do is through my actions and by my words, I'm going to make your name known. I'm going to make your name known. St. Francis of Assisi I believe, mistakenly said, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Words are always necessary, but let them see it in your lives. They need to hear the truth that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and that comes from your mouth because you're his messenger, given his word to bring this message out into the world. And when you say, you know what, this is my life, what it's going to be about today, more so than getting the promotion, more so than making the cheddar, more so than fill in the blank. My life is going to be, no matter where I go, to make his name known. Paul had determined, 1 Corinthians 2, to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his determination. When it becomes yours, and when you go to God and you say, this is my goal for today. I have one goal, and that is to unleash your power on the world by getting out of the way. Because that's what John did. He said, less of me, more of you. When we determine to make him known, we will unleash the power of prayer. So we will unleash the power of prayer when we trust in God's timing, when we desire he is glorified, when we acknowledge his authority, when we desire to make his name known. And what else do we see in this passage? Let's go back to John 17. The middle of verse 6, we'll pick it up. Actually, just verse 6. I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who you give, who you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer of the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given to me, that they may be one as we are.
Stop right there. We will glorify God. We will unleash the power of prayer when we realize that all we have is from him and for him. In other words, Jesus is saying, those that you have given to me while I walked this earth, I poured into them, I took care of them, and now what I'm doing is I'm taking what you've blessed me with, God, and I'm giving them back to you. When you take that thing that God has given you, whatever it is, and you said, you know what, I realize that everything that I have is on loan from him. I have a beautiful wife, two beautiful children. They're his. They're his before they're mine. I've been given them while I walk this earth to take care of them. But when I determine to take and recognize everything that I have, if you have a car and you've been blessed with a car, give someone a ride for Jesus. If you've been given money, if you've been blessed with finances, bless someone in the name of Jesus. If you come to your church and they have 5,000 desserts on the back table. Actually, we have 4,999 today. If you, have, if you have desserts on the back table, take that. Take the things that he's put in front of you for of him and through him. And if you take a look and you say, God, here's what I want to do today when I wake up. I want to take inventory of what I have. I want to take inventory and I want to make sure I'm maximizing everything that you have blessed me with. That's what successful companies do. Dad had worked for Winn-Dixie many years. And during one of his anniversaries, I don't know how many years he had been there, they gave him a gold watch. And the gold watch, some people would wear Rolex. Some had Timex. Dad had worked for Winn-Dixie, and this watch in bold letters when people said, what kind of a watch is that? It's a Winn-Dixie watch. It's a Winn-Dixie watch. Why? Because the companies that you work for, here's what they do. They want to promote their own name. So they're not going to give you anything that isn't going to bless them. Right? I've worked for the hospitals, okay? So when I, well, we just wanted to say thank you for your hard work. Here's a mug. It's got the company's name on it. We wanted to bless you with a shirt. It's got the company's name on it. We want to bless you with a bag. It's got the company's name on it. Well, guess what? You have his name on you. For of him and through him and to him are all things. We're going to unleash the power of prayer when we recognize that everything we have is from him and for him. And that will be the thing that is attractive to this world. You are out there representing him. God gave you the gift of music. Use it to glorify God. He gave you the ability to communicate. Use it to glorify God. For of him, through him, it's his anyway. He gave you the ability to speak. Everything we have. And when we determine to take those things and we say, God, you know what? I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to glorify you. There's a story of a man. And one day this man approached one of his star employees. He was a builder. He was a builder. And he told one of his star employees that he said, I want to take you and I want to use your talents for one month. And I'm bringing in a new vice president to this company. I'm bringing a new vice president in for the company. And here's what I want you to do. You're my most talented guy. What I want you to do is I want you to build him this mansion. And he laid out the plans before him. And he says, and I'm putting you in charge of the project. 
the man thought to himself, I'm his most talented. The promotion should go to me. If he's going to appoint a vice president, it should be me. So the man was bitter and he was angry. But the boss continued to say, no, no, you're the man for the job. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your gifts. I want you to use your talents. I want you to spare no expense. And so the man was miffed. He was looking for the promotion. He was upset. And so what he did is he took the job for 30 days while he cut corners. He bought the cheapest material. Went home early when he was still on the clock. He appeared to be doing everything for God, but, but instead he was doing it with a chip on his shoulders. And at the end of the 30 days, his boss came to him and he said, today's the day for me to introduce the new vice president and this is the home he's going to live in. And the man said, okay, that's fine. And he handed him the keys. He said, this is now your house. The man was going to have to live in the house that he built. He had cut corners. He had chintzed out. Listen, everything that you've been given is part of a kingdom that you're a part of forever. Forever. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. Jesus said, even now I go to prepare a place for you that where I'm going, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I'm going, you may also be. Everything you've been given is part of a relationship where he's doing something. He's building something inside your lives and hearts that is for all of eternity, will unleash God's power in prayer when we realize that everything is from him and for him. Let's look at verse 12 again. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, listen, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your world, your word, and the world has hated them because of it. Stop there. We will unleash the power of prayer when we desire Jesus's joy to be fulfilled in others when you desire Jesus's joy to be fulfilled in others is that your desire because it was Jesus's desire I think that the movies do a disservice to the character of Jesus because every time you see Jesus in the movie he, he's walking around and everything is just so serious sad The disciples wanted to be around this guy. If I tell you about the joy of Jesus, yet every time you see Pastor John, I'm miserable. <laughs> You're not going to want what the Lord has blessed me with. Yeah, come on. Life's great. Come on, come over to our church. God loves you. Just like he loves me. See what he's doing in my life? <laughs> and I'm crying, and I'm anxious, and I'm angry all the time. You don't want what, you don't want what I got. Sometimes I look at those movies, and I'm like, dude. What are they doing? How are they depicting him? There was joy. He had joy in fellowship with these men. He had real joy in fellowship with these men. And so what he's praying here out loud in the hearing of the disciples, he's saying, listen, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, that they might have my joy. Sometimes we're missing that part of it. In the book of Philippians, he says, do all things without complaining and grumbling. That you may be blameless and harmless children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in whom you shine as lights. We're not going to shine as lights if we're always 
complaining or grumbling, but if I take my prayer time, I intercede on your behalf, oh God, let your joy be made full in Frank. Let your joy be made full in Tom. Show them your joy, God. That their life might be that celebration. When people look at your life, are they able to take a look at your life and they say, you know what? His life is a celebration of Jesus. When I look at that life, I know that that man loves Jesus. Their life is a celebration of him. You'll unleash the power of prayer. See, now Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying that, he, that, that, that the name of God is made known. Praying. For of him and for him are all things. Praying that his joy is fulfilled in them. There's a great acronym for prayer. It goes, Jesus, others, you. And that's something that the church needs to live. Esteeming others is better than ourselves. The Bible tells us about Jesus that it's in his presence is the fullness of joy. So if you see me miserable and you determine, well, this is making Pastor John miserable, then I've made that more important than God, and I'm out of God's presence, or at least I'm feeling like I'm out of God's presence because you can never, ever, ever be out of God's presence because he's all-knowing and he's omniscient. But there are those moments where I put something on my heart and the world can take my joy away. Has the world taken your joy away, gang? Don't let the world take your joy away. A couple of quick last points. Verse 14. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Does that remind you of anything that Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because there is a very real evil out there. And if ever you doubted it, we wake up on a Monday morning and we're reminded. We're reminded. Why does God allow something like that? Because sometimes we forget and the only way we turn to Him, so many only turn when we get knocked on our backs. And so we see something like that, and we're convinced that there's a very real evil in this world. Jesus is praying for his disciples because he knows, as he's saying this prayer, he knows something is going to happen and that he's going to be stricken, and they're going to scatter. They're going to scatter. And so he's praying for protection. And so when you intercede on someone else's behalf, as Jesus is for his disciples right now, pray for their protection. If you see them succeeding at work especially, if you see them getting their lives back together, that's when you really need to go to them even more so than ever and pray for them. Pray for them. Lift them up. Because here's what happens. So often we get the blessing and we forget the blessor, and that's the enemy's open door. He loves that. He loves when we do that. So pray for your friends. Pray for your children. You want God's protection for them in this world? I pray for my kids each morning before they go to school. God, please, please, please place a hedge of protection around their schools. Because it happened after Sandy Hook. I'll never forget this. I just broke down crying. I watched my daughter walk in to the school. And as she was walking into the school, all I could think about is what happened there. I was like, what if I got that call today? And it was overwhelming. And I wept. Pray for their protection. We're not battling flesh and blood. When you see somebody struggling, don't be so quick to criticize 
be quicker to get to your knees and pray on their behalf that whatever it is that's bogging them down, that's weighing on them, that the God that God would use your prayer to intercede on their behalf. Pray for their protection. Last point. We will unleash the power of prayer. We will unleash the power of prayer when we pray for what God has set apart in this world. When Jesus prayed, he prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. All right? Jesus was set apart for the work to save us on the cross. He was set apart for that. If you find yourself that person that has come to the foot of the cross, you've repented of your sins, you've asked Jesus to take away your sins, and you've said, I want to make you the Lord of my life. You've said, I want to make you the Lord of my life. Then what's happened in that moment is that you have become set apart by God for his work in this world. You have a special purpose in this world. You've been set apart by God. And so Jesus is praying. He's saying, listen, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So here's our responsibility as the church. Keep pouring truth into folks. Keep pouring the truth of God's word into others. And when you're doing that, what's happening is that God is refining them because his word never returns unto them void. You're pouring God's word in and they're being set apart. They're being sanctified, perfected. There was a story about Michelangelo. For five years in the early 1500s, the artist Michelangelo lay on his back, painted scenes depicting the fall and the flood on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. But the magnificent art started to fade almost immediately. Within a century of completing his work, no one remembered that his original frescoes, what they looked like. Painter Biagio Biagetti said in 1936, we see the colors of the Sistine ceiling as if through smoked glass. In 1981, listen, a scaffold was erected to clean the frescoes that adorned the chapel with a special solution. Fabrizio Mancinelli and Gianluigi Gallucci <laughs> gently washed us. Hey, I'm Italian. What are you talking about? <laughs> gently washed a small corner of the painting. They gently washed a small corner of the painting. They invited art experts to examine the work. The results were stunning. No one had imagined that beneath centuries of grime lay such vibrant colors. This was not the Michelangelo known by art critics. That artist was the master of form, his paintings resembling sculpture more than painting. This new artist also a master of color, this Michelangelo that they discovered. Azure, green, rose, lavender. Mancinelli and Calalucci's success prompted the restoration of the entire ceiling. The task was completed in December of 1989. It took twice as much time to clean the ceiling as the artists utilized to paint it. But the result was breathtaking. For the first time in nearly 500 years, people viewed the masterpiece the way it was intended in all of its color and beauty. When you're praying on behalf of another, what you're praying is God, unleash them, unveil them, do whatever it takes to cultivate your character in them because it's been covered up just like that painting. And sometimes you just need someone to go in there with the truth of God's word. And as you're being washed in his word, what's happening is, is that this beautiful new creation in Christ is emerging. And that's the way the church should be praying. Do you see the difference between what we saw in this prayer? And we're not even done with it yet. Next week. But do you see the difference in the way that most of us pray? A lot of us reduce the idea of prayer to this is my grocery list and these are the things that I need and this is what I'm going through. But, and, and there's nothing wrong. We can go to God anytime, anywhere, about anything. 
But when we see a prayer like this, what we see is unleashing the power of prayer by saying it's your timing, your glory, your authority, making your name known for of you and through you are all things. That all things are committed to you. Praying for his people that they be made more like him. This is the power of prayer. And that's why so many of us sometimes we say, you know what? I'm really just struggling with my prayer life. I'm not seeing my prayers answered. Align your mind and heart with God. Read over this prayer. One theologian would read this prayer every night before he went to bed saying, God, help me focus. Help me see you through this prayer. And I would challenge you to do the same. I would challenge you to read over this prayer and let it challenge the way that you've been approaching the throne of God when you're praying for someone else and you're praying for yourself, but always praying for his glory no matter what. Amen? Amen. Now as we close our service today, if you've heard this and you said, you know what, I need that connection. I feel like I've been tried. I feel like I've been pressed lately. I feel like I am going through it. I feel like I'm on the ropes. There's a connection that will unleash God's power in your life. That connection unleashes God's power, but it's only done when we connect with the Father through the Son. And the reason so many of us have been struggling and are tired and frustrated and turning to other sources of satisfaction which are leaving us high and dry, the reason is is because we haven't established that connection with the King of Heaven. With the King of Heaven who desires to unleash you on the world. And if that's you here today, and all you've been playing in this life is defense, then it's time to get on the offense by receiving the truth of who you are. And it's time to become the man or woman that you were born to be by receiving the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray, pray this, play this song and pray this song. Um, Jesus, we love you. And here's what we're going to do. As we get up to sing in a moment, if you're here today and you need to receive the gift of eternal life, and you want to connect with this all-powerful God that we've talked about today that has a great plan for your life, then we're praying for you that when we sing this song that you'll come up here and we'll say a prayer with you. And during that prayer, you're going to ask God for forgiveness for your sins. And if you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, that's going to be your opportunity to do so because the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So you walked in here not knowing if you were going to heaven. You came in here and you found out, guess what? God loves you. God loves you. And he wants to change your eternal destiny today, and he wants to change your life here and now.